Hello and welcome to A Light at the Crossroads, a podcast brought to you by Liminal 11, a mind, body and spirit publishing company with a focus on illustration and comic arts. You can find information on all our products, including our tarot decks, on our website, which is at liminal11.com. This month I'm going to be talking to John Kai Douglas all about his new book from Liminal 11, All the Places in Between, a meditative piece that follows someone on a surreal and surprising journey. It's hit the shelves this week, so it will be available now from all good book and comic shops, as well as online retailers, or you can order a copy directly from us at our web store at liminal11.com. So now, let's talk to John. Hello, John. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, <laughs> I've already done an arm. I was trying to be so aware of it. <laughs> well, you're allowed three across the whole show, so you know, you've, you've, you've used one early, but I think that's just confidence on your part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll keep them in check from now on. <laughs> now, I'm going to go with an unorthodox first question, but it's an important one for me. Yep. Your full name is John Kai. Kai. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm just asking because I for some reason someone at some point told me it was pronounced C. Uh, so I've always yeah. called you John C. Douglas, but I've also heard uh, Key, K, and Kai. So it's good to get the definitive version out there, particularly as I'll be recording an introduction to this podcast after doing this interview. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it is It is Kai. I think my mum said it's Welsh, apparently. Oh, okay. And I, I realised I had no idea. I think... One of the first times I went to a comic convention, I think it was Bristol. Everyone was calling me John C. Douglas the whole time, and I had no idea they were mispronouncing it. I thought they were just initialising, like, like, yeah, like John yeah. C. Riley. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. It's like Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that on its own too. I guess that's where I've got the C from then that became like the default in uh, the UK comic scene <laughs> without anyone actually uh, checking. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming people are talking about me quite a lot. So, well, absolutely. Well, also as well, not wanting to sound uh, cynical about it, but obviously by using that, you just become eminently uh, Googleable. Well, yeah. If I don't have that middle name, my name's so generic and boring, you'd never find me. I mean, the, 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 it's not as big an issue as poor old uh, Gareth Brooks, who even if you search for Gareth Brooks, you still get like pages of stuff on a country and Western singer that you're not looking <laughs> for information on. There's an option at the bottom. It's like, do you mean, Gareth? do you actually want Gareth Brooks? Like, of course I do. I want to see some like embroidered comics. I don't want to hear about honky tonks. Never listen to a Gareth Brooks song. Probably good. Very popular. <laughs> Exactly. Although, you know, sometimes maybe, maybe now I realise I'm too Googleable. <laughs> Hard to hide. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous on the internet. So just, I guess, going back to the very start, uh, were you reading comics as a kid? As a kid? Hmm. As a kid, yeah, for sure. I, I read a lot of Spider-Man. Essentially, <laughs> very kind good. Of pretty much it, actually. I, right, it's mainly Spider-Man. And was that UK that, reprints or? I think, 
both at various times. Just any Spider-Man you can get your hands on sort of thing. Yeah, I think when I was really young, it was whatever I found in the newsagent. And then as I got a bit older and ventured out to comic shops, and it was the time when everything had like a holographic or die-cut cover. Yeah. And that was the time I got into like buying comics like that. So yeah, mainly Spider-Man or like Ghostbusters and these kind of things. I've I've always had comics since I was a kid of that nature. And in terms of sort of making comics, was that something that you thought about as a as a child? Sort of like, oh, one day I'd like to, you know, draw Spider-Man, or, or was it something that sort of developed as you got older and became more interested in art broadly? No, I think I always I always sort of made my own comics. Actually, they were they were pretty bad and. Especially when I was a kid, it was just I made my own Spider-Man rip-offs and just drew pictures of Spider-Man <laughs> over and over. Have you uh, still got any of those original efforts? I don't think so. There might be some in the attic back in Leicester, but I'm not. I couldn't tell you for sure. Important I, for I the archive, even, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's a few comics I've actually made that I was just thinking about the other day that I don't think I could show someone now because I can't find them. Right. right and I don't right. have any files or anything. So so eventually you, you go on to study at Campbell College of Arts. Yeah. And was that a natural progression? That was it was like art was, was always the sort of direction you were going in as a, as a young person, as a teenager? Yeah, it was. So I went to... I went to Loughborough, wait, Loughborough University School of Art, I think it was called, and did a foundation in art, like right after um, school. So it's always what I wanted to to do in some capacity, but it took took a long time to get to to Camberwell and actually, I went straight in and did a master's at Camberwell, but I never did a BA. I grew up about five minutes from Campbell College of Arts. Uh, lived there from the age of about sort of five to 20, I would guess. Uh, and would wow, remember okay. sort of going past it on the bus. You had the sort of the wall and the, there was a sort of fence bit above it. And it, it looked like, I don't even know what the sort of grounds are now, but at the time it was sort of like, there were like rocks and logs that looked like they were painted on. Was that a thing when you were there? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Which 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 bit was it? Because I think there's like two different. Oh, of elements. course. Yeah, this is the one on sort of Campbell Road itself, going down towards Campbell Green. Yeah, you know, it's so bad. I can't remember where I <laughs> was now. I mean, there's also a huge chance I've just completely misremembered this episode from my childhood. Because <laughs> it was not college. I've maybe I've convinced myself that they just painted on everything in the yard. <laughs> Oh, my, my brain's just stuck because my memory's terrible and I, <laughs> it, it was a while ago now. Yeah, you've moved on. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy your time at Campbell? I, I did. So I actually, everyone I went there with will tell you this, I didn't actually go there very much. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, I did an MA and I did it part time. So it was over two years, but people will tell you, oh, I only saw you about five times. Suddenly um, your vague memories of the yard make more sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because I basically just stayed in, at, 
at home and did my work and sort of went <laughs> in occasionally. But that's the beauty of doing a master's. You kind of do your own thing. Yeah, it's very much it, isn't it? They, they're not there to sort of tell you step by step what to do. They're there to look at what you're doing step by step and discuss it. Yeah, it, it was def- it was a really good experience. It's it's actually through doing that is basically how I ended up making what I'd call my first proper comic, I guess. And in terms of, of making comics, obviously that, it, it, you know, in terms of the, the formal practice that you're, you're into now, that sort of starts yeah. around this time, it feels like. And, and just looking over your sort of your, your chronology of this sort of period, I was just yeah. struck by it. Because obviously I know you, I know your work, I know, you know, you are, you know, a part of the UK comic scene. But I, I don't think I've realised how involved you were with a lot of sort of key things uh, and so many different uh, things as well. Like you were in an issue of Solipsistic Pop. Yeah. Which is like a key note, I think, in what we think of as the, the sort of contemporary UK comic scene, isn't it? In terms of what who was involved and how it was done and what was... Uh, presented how, how did you get involved with that how did I get involved with that I think I just emailed <laughs> Tom and said I want to be in this <laughs> um, <laughs> and he went sure. sort of, <laughs> I hope I like your stuff <laughs> or did he know you already I can't remember I think so the thing is so I've been making comics probably longer than people realize in a lot of ways i think i made my first comic in 2004 right right 2003 maybe actually so yeah it's sort of i finished i finished art college i think around 2000 and then i did a couple of years kind of teaching myself stuff about how to make comics i think ah right right and so i can tell i can tell you exactly when because i I started reading like Daniel Klaus and stuff like that right, around right. 2002-ish, I guess. And yeah. so I I discovered indie comics for the first time around then. And so I read like Ghost World and Eight Ball. And I remember l- buying the single issue that became um, Ice Haven. Yeah, I think this Daniel is a sort of, book. that's a sort of, common thing isn't it where people read comics as kids sort of drift away from it for a while and yeah. then as, as they get older rediscover this whole you know still comics obviously but a completely different uh, kind of comic isn't it yeah and i think i discovered them through the internet somehow on some sort of message board and i had no idea they existed and so it was like that and i always struggle i don't know how you pronounce his name properly but um, like Adrian Tomine, is it Tomine? Yeah, yeah, Tomine is what I've always gone for. Yeah, yeah. So I, I basically got those comics, and I, and I was working at British Gas doing data entry at the time, and I remember very happily the day I went in, and I asked my supervisor, I was like, if I quit, how long will it take before I can leave? And she said, oh, you can leave now and I said great I quit and I went home and that's I decided to make a comic like then I remember that was very specific I guess also just the way you framed that question was kind of an indicator for them wasn't it there's no there's no way to sort of go uh okay I mean not that I'm thinking of 
and I'm thinking of is leaving. Well, I was, I was quite worried I'd have to wait like a week or two or something. <laughs> but no, I remember I was reading all those comics and I think like Seth and Chester Brown and I was like, I want to go and make one of these. And I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a comic called Sleeping Beauty, I think, which was not very good. That would have been what sort of time, sort of well before Solid City Pop, I guess. Yeah, it's, I think it's around 2003-ish. 2002, wow. two, 2003, somewhere around there. I should find because I actually I sent it to uh, Adrian Tamine and he sent me a little note back. Ah, oh, lovely. So I was very pleased to get, although he didn't remember when I asked him about it later when I got him to sign a book. But to be fair, it'd been about 20 years. So. <laughs> also, probably gets a few, doesn't he? Probably, but I appreciated it. And he said, this, oh, is, this is all right. Some of it doesn't make sense, but some of the drawing's pretty good. So, you know, good job. Brilliant. He didn't have to say anything. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd think of like solipsistic pop almost as then your sort of formal introduction to the scene. Would that be fair? Yeah, it, that makes more sense. I, so I did another comic that I self-published before then as well. It's called buffalo roots and again i'm very pleased that nobody can really find these or read them <laughs> in any real way i made lots of little comics as well all between this time but it was very stop start essentially well because i was agoraphobic for most of this time so i didn't really do anything just <laughs> helps clarify the time oh, yeah and but you were uh, making comics and, and producing so in, in terms of your sort of self-publishing these and selling them at shows or selling them into shops or what was the yeah I saw process? I saw a few at sort of few at shops and sort of few at like festivals like I think I went to Bristol a couple of times but it was all it was very sporadic like I didn't really do it it was like I'd just pop up every now and then that's the so, nature isn't it when you're starting off doing comics that particularly self-publishing yeah you can the good thing is you can fix your own schedule but obviously a lot of it is going to be tied around um having the time having the energy having the finances as well because obviously once you finish the comic then turn it into x amount of units to get out to people is a financial yeah. you know cost isn't it exactly yeah so it was it wasn't until I, I think i moved to london and then started putting stuff out through things like solipsistic pop and um do you remember paper science was that what it was called i do remember paper science yeah 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 i had something in that and that was i think i've managed to be slightly more consistent since then but also still occasionally disappear but this is what i mean about you sort of uh, as you say sort of popping up but popping up in like these key spaces like solipsistic pop and and paper science who sort of we, we're still sort of feeling the ripples from now aren't we yeah i guess so i mean all all the people that have been involved in all these things have all you know they're all quite well known yeah in a lot of if you, now. If, if you yeah. look at the, uh, a lot of those issues uh, you know those are those are people that have gone to, to sort of carve out significant spaces in in comics which is good yeah and i've just been here the whole time <laughs> <laughs> you're still you're carving you're still carving it's good 
similarly it takes me a while i think yeah <laughs> similarly just looking at 2012 for you as a creator you, you're a, a finalist in the comica cape observer prize which again is another prestigious competition with a, a healthy history of people going on to to make space for themselves i didn't actually know until someone sent me a picture from because <laughs> they had they had all the comics up in foils yeah they had the exhibition didn't they the finalists yeah so i didn't know i was there they didn't inform you that you got to the finals no i think okay. this is also a common thing it's like oh i read this thing about it. i was like i never i never <laughs> I don't seem to be good at keeping track of things like this. You should Google but, yourself, because, like, the thing... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask them about the experience of being a finalist, but did you get a chance to visit the show yourself? I think I did I did go and see it, yeah. Must have been um, nice to sort of see yourself up in foils. I mean, and, and like, generally, I've been to a few of the, the finals shows, uh, yeah. for, for that prize and it, it, the work does tend to be very strong and it's always a nice sort of selection of styles I, I feel a bit guilty because I think I just put um, the thing I did for solipsistic popping for it because it's all I had it to hand <laughs> but people really liked that one what's it called footnotes right right uh, it's like a, a four-page comic about a relationship but there's no there's no words again which is a common thing for me you let the pictures do the talking. It's all it's all about sort of a long distance relationship and they're getting trains. But yeah, I like to let the pictures do the talking because I have this long held belief that people don't pay enough attention to the pictures in the comics. They just read the words. Yeah, and I'm spending all this time drawing the pictures. So I want to make sure people have to look at them. There are times I'm sort of reading a comic and it will strike me. I'll, I'll see a particular page or, <laughs> or panel, even like part of a panel. And I'm so, uh, it will sort of catch me all of a sudden, the, the sort of the effort that would have gone into that and how intricate and how cleverly put together it is. But it's hard, yeah. isn't it? Like, obviously, part of the, the trick of, of making the comic is you want it all to flow. You want the eye to be carried across the page. So it has to sort of keep it in motion. If you did just do essentially static images that force the eye to stop, it would lose something as well, wouldn't it? It'd just become a set of pinups. But... Um, yeah, certainly yeah. something I think I've, I've got better at over the last few years. Well, I do it too, so I think that's why. But also, I think I'm just lazy, so I, I hate having to block out the space for the words. So <laughs> just did away with them. Well, it is. It's, possible. I, it's, it's something I always find interesting as a sort of compositional challenge, because like sometimes you'll see pages of original artwork, and I, I think I'd find it just incredibly intimidating to sort of try and block out area and obviously you know yeah. artists will design pages and panels to allow for uh, but even then if, if there's a single line there I'm like well someone drew that for a reason John. <laughs> it's not for me to <laughs> decide that could be uh, covered over <laughs> exactly I always find it weird when you you see that all the letters have been added digitally afterwards but they drew the whole thing and I was <laughs> like whoa you didn't have to do that you've got a huge You've got a huge dialogue bubble, like, right over there. You drew it all. <laughs> I mean, I'm very specific with uh, when I put in the effort for drawing, obviously. So, <laughs> In 2012 as well, at the uh, BD and Comics Passion Festival, which 
was going on at the Institut Francais in South Kensington. I don't know if it has happened in recent years. I'm sort of out of the loop, obviously not being in London, but I did go to a few of those. And again, a wonderful festival. And you, you won a prize there in, in 2012. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I won the student competition, but I can't remember what I submitted. It must have been All I remember is that I got there late <laughs> but when they were like <laughs> announcing the prizes. <laughs> Did you know you'd um, won was, when you were heading over? I think I knew I'd won, but I missed the bit where they actually said my name and everything. And then I got there and everyone had gone. Jonathan Ross was there and he was signing some books. And then he stole my pen, which I lent him to sign them. And that's main that's that's my main memory of this. <laughs> Did did you win anything in terms of uh, physically, you know, a book or some sort of trophy or? I, I won. They gave me a bunch of comics. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and a trip to Brussels. Oh right, that's good. Yeah. 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 That that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and and I went to like the Tintin Museum and stuff like that. So it had all of. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? I, I went uh, a couple of years back and. People don't talk enough about the Hergé Museum in terms of yeah. just the scale and scope of it, and the the, the it's a purpose-built structure for the work of Hergé. You know, just like yeah, the lift amazing. shaft being painted like the rocket is uh, incredible, and obviously the array of original art. Like I was just standing there, sort of hypnotized not quite believing that I was standing in front of these sort of like dozens or hundreds of pieces of original uh, work <laughs> by Hergé. And like, it's a very, like I, I was staying in Brussels at the time and it's like 40 minute train ride. So it's not in Brussels, is it? It's, I forget what town it is, but it's very easy to get to. The, the, his layouts were just oh. extraordinary. Yeah, and obviously just looking at your own work, you're, you're certainly an advocate of the, the clean line school, I would say. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I don't see it that way because I always think everything I do is so messy, but <laughs> then I, I, take, I take all this time to try and clean it up before other people see it. I'm laughing because if I was ever to use one word to describe your work, it would never be messy. It's interesting, isn't it? But, that sort of gap between the perception of the creator and then... You know, you because you would have seen it at every possible stage. There probably was a time where it was sketchy and and, and messy to your eye, but just well, it's more work. as well how, how much everything gets smudged in the process of right. making it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it. Uh, but as well, like my initial sketches when I start a page or something, they're they're not very refined. I I don't really I never really sketch either. I just kind of go straight on the page and then make a mess until it sort of becomes tighten it up and, and tighten sort of breaks it up. down over time and becomes something in terms of your work then moving on in 2014 you released show me the map to your heart through yes. uh, great beast which again was yeah. another sort of i think important sort of moment in in sort of reading UK comics isn't it where you had Mark Ellenby and Ad Adam Cadwell sort of assemble together some some great creators to put out some really nice stuff yeah that I mean that was really great to be involved with actually and 
just ha having having those two to sort of work with and and kind of help distribute the comics around I really appreciated that because though obviously those two have been self-publishing for years and they kind of know their way around all of this in a way that I never really got my head around <laughs> I was never as organized but I mean they're both lovely guys and also the other people that were being published by them as well and we all like tabled together at LCAF and stuff and it was just really nice and it was like a good group of people uh, one of them being um John Riordan who I was at Camberwell with as well ah right yeah and um so that was really nice obviously known him for a while and yeah, I think I did my first LCAF actually when that book came out and with all of us together in like a row of tables. And that was that was a really lovely experience. Yeah, I do think for creators, any sort of visit, even visiting or, you know, tabling at any sort of show for the first time, if you can do it as part of a sort of collective or cooperative, then that's always going to be a little easier, isn't it? Just in terms of the intimidation factor, you know, financially, it becomes more viable if you're sort of doing things collectively. So I do think, yeah, things like Great Beast, even if, you know, it didn't, you know, it's not going now, it stopped eventually, but like even just having that little window, as you say as well, just to sort of let other creators have a look at the sort of distribution network that Mark and Adam have put together through their own work. It sort of helps people along, doesn't it? It's a sort of developmental thing as much as anything else. Yeah, it it was it was really it was really good to be a part of for me because it was like a little step up from you know doing doing my own things and not really knowing what to do with them half the time and just it was reassuring I think <laughs> and and those guys really helped me put everything together as well because so originally it was actually two different books and and we put it all together as one book and I think made it a much a much stronger thing yeah it, uh, honestly even even when i when i do things now people really like that book still because it's printed really nicely and the paper's <laughs> really good you know it's it still has a nice feel to it it catches me off guard because i might look at it and be like oh wow that's that's pretty good how did i do that <laughs> who did oh me i did this yeah i remember <laughs> us uh stopping gosh doing uh very well so yeah it's, it was a good blue good choice of blue <laughs> and I think as well, you, you can sort of make a case for things like getting into solid assisted pop, getting, you know, doing well in competitions, being, you know, selected to be part of the Great Beast Collective, uh, and in the same year in Off Life as well. These are all sort of cumulative things that have got to sort of help and, and reassure you as a creator that you're on the right path. I'm not sure I've ever thought that reassure. <laughs> <laughs> can i reassure you and say these are all good signs that you're uh... <laughs> okay thanks i just feel like i'm winging it <laughs> in in uh possibly uh less reassuring news i don't know if you know this but we as in me and you have both been published in the same uh publication did you know that wait i didn't know that i didn't realize it until i was doing research uh for this but um, I wrote a uh, strip that was drawn uh, by uh, Kay, who's now at Luminor 11, for Score and Script, 
John Myers experimental comic from 2014. Oh. Yeah. Wait, I did know that. <laughs> I just forgot <laughs> yeah, I think... it existed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, me too. It was a thing where I, I was just looking through uh, things you've done and I was like, score and script. I was like, I'm in that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was lovely. It was a lovely sort of moment where I was like, uh, oh, right, I was in the thing with John. That's a, a, a lovely thing. To and again, it's another one of those sort of, I think, sort of quietly key projects where, again, if you look at who's in it, and, and also as well, um, if you look at the sort of the scope of the projects, that was something that I really liked about it. It was basically John came up with a... An, an outline for a comic and then hand yeah, it out yeah. to people with some specific instructions, but then with a lot of freedom as well. Like certain things had to happen, but how it was presented and, and shown was entirely down to the creators. And, and then you get to see what people had generated independently and the correspondences and the, the differences yeah, between yeah. those strips. Fascinating. No, it was a really cool idea and just, how how different people interpreted the same the same things in completely different ways. I, I think I'm just realizing as you say all this that in show me the show me the map, I basically just took all the stuff I'd already made and stuck it in a book. <laughs> but that's good. Because that like... was that was in there. And so was so were all the others. <laughs> no, but that's I think that's a very uh, you know common thing to do, isn't it? Certainly. That's the sort of every so often you'll get a book from Chris Ware or Adrian Tomalay that will be just collected works, you know. And there's nothing, it's, you know, it's fascinating for me to sort of get a snapshot of a creator at a particular time. Yeah, I th I think as well, it was partly surprise on my part that I realised like, oh, I've got enough to put together to make a book, you know. <laughs> Because you do a, a few pages here and a few pages there, and then it was like, wow. It, it always takes me by surprise when that happens. A, a good surprise. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sort of tipping point, isn't it? Yeah. But on, honestly, I feel like that's sort of what happened with um, with the, the book I did with Liminal as well. Right, right. In, in that I realised I had like 20, 30 pages. And I just wanted to keep making it. And um, <laughs> it, it was like a surprise. I was like, oh, this is like a small comic, but I'd like it to be a bigger comic. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny. It's funny how it works out because it's not always the things you you plan on. Yeah, yeah I guess you, you didn't sit down one day, outline however many pages, break it down page by page, break it down panel by panel, start drawing it out. It was... Uh, something that you sort of built up organically. It it was certainly more organic. So uh, it, I think in 2013, I submitted the idea, the first proposal for it as um, something to do. I, I applied for a residency. I think it was in Finland, I think in Helsinki. And this was my project proposal for that. And it became a very different thing. <laughs> over the years <laughs> I mean it had a completely different title for one thing right but it also had a completely different story and, and was it just something where you rather than working through it continuously you 
the moment would catch you, the mood would catch you, and you'd sort of just get something down that related to it. Or after after that project proposal, it was it was always I always have like a list of projects that I want to make um, of varying lengths and styles, I guess, and just di different things I'd like to make, different stories. That was always on the list, and I think I started thinking about it again after we visited the Tuva Janssen exhibition in Dulwich, but I can't remember when that was, around 2017, 16, I think. And basically yeah, I think just looking at her um, original art and like the Moomins and stuff, obviously. And it was really small and it was kind of amazing to me. And I, I it kind of helped clarify a way that I wanted to draw something. Yeah, the book opens with a, a quote from uh, Turby Anson. And, and again, I think just looking at the sort of the, the clean lines of your work, it does seem sort of evocative of, and, and obviously uh, sort of the, the sort of striking use of, of sort of backdrops and surroundings and the, the world around uh, the characters, that you, you do feel the, the influence of Janssen there. But obviously a, a very different type of work to the movements, probably closer to it tonally the other work that Janssen did, the summer book and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, I, I really love those those books as well. So yeah, she's kind of just my favorite artist in in all senses. I, I really like how she writes all, all those novels and stuff. They're, they're really amazing. I think the thing is after the exhibition, and I remember my first ideas for it at some point the main character was going to be a badger <laughs> so that would that would also be quite a different story <laughs> I, I mean i'm glad i changed that in the end is that is that the same badger that went into badger versus tiger it, it was similar yeah i i thought i thought i could take a badger on this kind of wistful <laughs> journey <laughs> but it, it didn't go past any initial you attempted to go Scribbles. double badger. You're like, I'm going to do one meditative badger book and then one wrestling badger book, and then <laughs> the full spectrum. Because that that one was kind of a surprise. Like it's an idea I had that probably normally I wouldn't make the, the badger versus tiger, but I ended up making the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> People didn't care for a wrestling badger in the way that you know I really hoped. <laughs> do you think there's a, a possibility the way you were you kind of needed to express yourself tonally in other ways as well I think I think it was a really good kind of artistic exercise that because I I, I really love the art for it and it's the first time I kind of worked with a pen in that kind of black and white style quite dense lines there's a little sequence I put in that story well, I, I drew it quite small with thin lines where in, in the middle of the wrestling match, uh, the Badger has some sort of existential crisis. And that was kind of also a catalyst for actually just making all the places in between. <laughs> so it, 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 had, it had value to, to me. And I, I still, I like how it looks. I like the look of it. As you say, there's a, uh, there is definitely a distinct change in line work between uh, 
the two projects. But again, that's probably a nice thing for you to do just to sort of stretch the drawing muscles a little bit as well. Well, it's just, it's different pens. Right, right. It's kind of the main thing. It's just a thicker pen and a thinner pen. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give away all your secrets. That's that's all that is. (laughs) But it it was also um, probably the first time experimenting with a longer silent story too and kind of figuring out how that kind of thing works and i i always like comics with no words a lot just generally but there's something about it, the way they can focus in on one on really specific feelings and moments in interesting ways i i feel like they really get at in between feelings obviously in a in a comic about a badger wrestling a tiger that's not as apparent but <laughs> <laughs> in in terms of your work, I do think of them as as having you know very little in the way of speech and even sort of limited captioning and and, and text uh, generally, and and like all the places in between does feel like the sort of natural evolution of that. Where and as you say, one of the things that silent comics, which is you know what people often call them. It, it do it is help you to sort of fix tone in a very specific way you know usually it's the the whole idea of like the words and the images providing a contrast or attention to create an effect whereas obviously where you're just using the images it's very much and, and again something i think that plays to your strength the the sort of the the pacing and the layout on the page design is doing so much well doing all the heavy lifting really isn't it i, I really like that about it because when you can kind of give yourself a, a rigid a, a rigid structure with something like this so it's like a four panel grid but then the the fun thing to do with that is to then play around with it and break it at various points and kind of give you a completely different feeling from from like moment to moment well also as well and this isn't a, a spoiler but uh there are moments where you do break that in pretty much every direction possible, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, but that's the best thing about having, having structures like that because you establish all these rules and then, and then you smash them up when it, <laughs> when it works for you best, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the effect of you making that decision to you know deviate from it has impact doesn't it because you're like oh right so this yeah. is you know it feels uh, substantial when you see these these things being played with i think so in, in terms of all the places in between coming to liminal 11 what was the the, the process there i just emailed k and said what do you think of this do you want to make a book <laughs> 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 and uh luckily they said yes because that that was kind of that was kind of the main thing I, I wanted as well because it was great working with them because I basically had the freedom to to make the thing I wanted to make, which I don't think I would have been able to otherwise because you know it's quite long. It turned out actually much longer than I thought it was going to be too. Surprisingly, yeah, they kind of just left me alone to to <laughs> to do my thing <laughs> and had faith that it wouldn't be. A pile of rubbish at the end. <laughs> I think I do think one of the sort of strengths of Liminal Eleven is 
having someone like Kay in a sort of editorial uh, publishing capacity, but someone who is also a creator themselves. So yeah, they I think they're very good at reading what particular creators need. If someone needs a lot of help and advice and feedback, they're happy to do that. But with other people, they're happy to sort of go, you seem to have a handle on what you want to do with this and what you need to do. And also as well, Kay would know as, as well as I do uh, from, from working at Gosh, who you are, that you are someone who produces work to a high standards, that you do have a, a track record of completing projects. So immediately that thing of like the previous things you've done starts to sort of pay off in terms of new things where you're a known quantity. So it's just sort of, yeah, we don't need to be chasing John for for pages and ideas. He'll be getting on with it. Well, I, I appreciate that. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I I had I had a sort of bare skeleton of an outline, so <laughs> so I, I think sometimes it's best for people to not know, in a way, how how little I had written of various. <laughs> The, the the main thing being with with the way it came together though is that i i kind of i didn't want to change the way i was working and it sounds it sounds kind of cheesy but it's like it told me the story <laughs> so i didn't i didn't want to force it because it yeah, felt you like don't it came, fight it yeah yeah it it came really naturally and um so i kind of did 10 or 15 pages at a time and I kind of, between each section, I'd know, okay, from the start of this, I get to here. And then when I get to here, we'll see what happens. And then you kind of know, you kind of go on a journey from this bit to the next bit. And it kind of, it it does actually come together organically, however that may sound. (laughs) And every now and then there were kind of choices to make, like, is this going to be this or this? And you choose one and you go in that direction and then you carry on down that road kind of thing. So, for example, at one point, she comes across a companion in a ruined city. Uh, at one point, that was going to be a dog. Ah, right. And I think I changed it. I'm glad I changed it. But I changed it also because it's too sad. A dog's going to be too sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually too much. But there's all sorts of little things like that, where it's like uh, either side of this choice and, and you keep going in, in this direction. Yeah, and you sort of, you, you, you let it flow, but you have to make certain calculations at key points, don't you, to sort of check things and, and make sure it doesn't go too far off in a particular direction. Exactly, yeah. And I think I, I only, I had just this vague idea of the end the whole time I was working on it. And it, it kind of just came together as I got closer. And, so it was all just constantly was, unfolding in front of you. Yeah, which it feels like I was cheating sometimes, but <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed to work. <laughs> just all these sort of funny ideas that end up kind of taking you places you didn't know you were you were always going to go, but I'm you sure kind I, of knew the key points. I'm not sure if this is a quote or I'm paraphrasing from something, but um, it's a line, something like, not cheating is it being good <laughs> and it's not is it like you're like oh this is going this is going well <laughs> yeah well you know it took me by surprise 
It's not what <laughs> I didn't expect it. I was like, oh hey, I, I can make this. I can I can do this thing. <laughs> Also, just to quote or paraphrase, I forget which golfer it was, but someone, he had a particularly good round one day and someone said that he'd been lucky. And uh, he said, yeah, it's funny. The more I practice, the luckier I get. <laughs> <laughs> and it is that thing, isn't it? Like work and practice and, you know, the act of doing will, yeah. not consciously perhaps, but like suddenly things will flow in a different way than they were in previous projects or previous years. But it's good because that's kind of how it should be you'd hope isn't it i mean it's a good a good point i think so so with me and like with this book especially and for my work kind of being sporadic or comics only happening occasionally is i've i've actually i've had um i've had chronic fatigue for quite a long period of time and this has been like the uh, the first period where i've kind of been managing to work more and more consistently and um it, it's nice <laughs> also as well it does seem like the perfect project obviously i don't have from what i understand you, you're not going to be able to block out a particular schedule you can't sort of rely on the fact that you know between this hour and this hour i will want to and be able to to make comics so having a project as you say that's sort of flowing in that way does yeah. mean you can sort of revisit it at the moments where you're feeling best equipped to, to do it justice. It's been a really lovely project to work on and it, it kept surprising me. Like I felt nostalgic for when I was first at art college and I started listening to certain music. I started listening to Sonic Youth and Pixies for the first time and I was kind of rediscovering these things. And at the same time, it was reminding me of when I made my first comic and and I think I did it in a couple of weeks and I just did a page a day and, right, right. and it had that kind of feeling to it and and that kind of sort of joy in drawing again which had been a struggle for me for quite a long time because because of all these various reasons and and so it was it was really nice to have that feeling while making something and also to feel like it's going somewhere as well like I know this is going to come out <laughs> <laughs> you know to have an end goal for it where you you're not just kind of working in this void of not knowing what's going to happen when you actually finish it 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 gave me a lot of um confidence as well i think well i do think this is a great example of a, 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 a sort of wonderful marriage between creator and publisher in that this feels like the perfect project for liminal 11 to put out and Liminal 11 feels like a great space for you to put this project. So I've read it. We've got the book coming out at the end of this month. We're all very excited about it. So uh, we're very hopeful that we can get it into lots of interesting places. Well, you know, it's funny. I read I read the first uh, advance review last night and I was reading it and I was like, oh, they, they got it. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I could have written this. Because <laughs> I still have this feeling of just like, what if it, what if it doesn't make sense to anybody? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not it's nice to hear these things because, you know, I I appreciate it because sometimes as well you you're working on your own, and you know I've shown my mum or whatever and she's like, yeah, it's great. And it's like, well, yeah, but of course you think that. <laughs> 
No, it is. I always say to, to people, it's that that sort of very specific thing of you're working on something and you're like, is this a thing? Is this like a thing that people do? I, I'm never quite sure if this is what a thing that people do looks like. And then you show it to one other person, they go, oh, yeah, this is a thing. This is the sort of thing that people do. And you go, oh, good, good. And it's just that sort of reassurance, isn't it, initially, just to sort of give you the motivation to sort of see things through. Exactly. Lots of reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for yep. talking to us. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to the book, Hitting the Streets, and uh, seeing uh, what people make of it. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> I think it works. <laughs> Thanks again to John for talking to us, and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.